um, and you're welcome. <laughs> now, yesterday morning, I was at Sydney Markets, uh, and I, I'm part of a fruit and veg co-op, so I was there shopping for us, and I'd bought everything I needed to buy, uh, the car was packed, I just had to return the trolley, and when I, you return the trolley, you get a couple of bucks back on your deposit, just, you know, to make sure you return the trolley. Uh, so I was walking around with two bucks, and I was walking from one end of the markets to the other, where the car was, uh, and I was looking for something I could spend these two bucks on. Uh, so I was walk, walking around, there's lots of fruit and veg, but the problem is, they're all kind of sold per the box. So my $2 wasn't going to buy me 40 apples. My $2 wasn't going to buy me 12 head of broccoli. So I was kind of, I didn't know what to do. Um, I just thought I'd just have to pocket that $2 and spend it on something later. There was a punnet of strawberries. There was this guy just selling strawberries by the punnet, not by the box. And I was like, oh, I'll get some strawberries. And even they were 3 bucks 50 so I couldn't get them. Uh, the best I could do was like a bunch of basil, like a, a good-sized bunch of basil, but uh, I don't think people are going to appreciate having just a bunch of basil. Now, if you're at the supermarket, that 2 bucks probably would have gone further because you don't have to buy a whole box of apples. You could have bought a couple of apples or some bananas, maybe even a chocolate bar if you're feeling adventurous. Uh, but the point is that $2, it's not, it's not going to feed you for very long. It's not going to get you very far. It's probably only going to get you a snack, unless you bought like a bag of rice, and then you, then you have like the blandest meal ever. But the World Bank, it says that those living in extreme poverty live on $1.90 or less a day. $1.90 or less. That is less than a bag of rice. That's not much at all. That's barely anything. These people are struggling to eat day to day, let alone any other expenses that might come up. Forget school tuition, uh, forget any kind of luxuries. These are the kind of people who are walking 10 kilometres each way a day just to get some fresh water. A buck 90 isn't very much. Now, when we hear things like that, oftentimes we're moved. We feel compassion on these people. We realise we should care for the poor. We might be moved to give to charity like Compassion or some others. We might be moved uh, to give money to uh, the people we walk past on the street who have need. But the question is, why are we moved to do that? As Christians, we kind of we know we need to care for the poor, but why? What is it about the Christian life that means we should care for the poor? Surely, uh, what their bigger need is to hear the Gospel. And so, why don't we just tell them the Gospel instead of giving money to them? What does the Bible say about the poor? Well, today, I really want to dig into those questions. I want, to, I want us to listen and to hear what the Bible says about poverty and compassion and how we should respond to those things. And I hope to show you that it's not as simple as God tells us to do it. God does tell us to be generous, but it's more than that. It goes deeper than that. So, how about you pray with me while we start thinking about these things? Father God, we pray that this morning as we look at what you have told us about caring for the poor and as we look at how you love the poor and you care for the poor, please move us, help us to trust in your way of living more, <clears throat> help us to see reality the way you see it and help us to be compassionate and caring to others. Amen. Now, when the Bible talks about the poor it actually kind of talks about the poor in a few different ways. Ooh, that's not my slide. Hey, there we go. 
That wasn't me. I think that was the guys up there fixed me. Uh, so there's three ways. We're going to get to each of them, but we're going to start with the first one. The first way the Bible talks about the poor is more in line with what you might expect. It's the economically poor. I'm sorry, I'm going to use words like economically and spiritually and things like that today because it helps distinguish between who we're talking about. So when, when I talk about the economically poor, uh, we're talking about money and resources. You might be thinking uh, starving kids in Africa or in Indonesia, as we just heard. But when the Bible talks about these people, it's actually a bit of a broader category than that. The Bible uh, includes more people than just those who are starving. Let me give you an example of how the Bible talks about this group of the poor. In Israel, in ancient Israel, when they were living under God's law in the land, the law was that only Israelites could own land. Only Israelites could own land. Because it was the land that God had given to Israel. God had divided it up and given it to Israel and there was no land for the foreigners to own. So, if you were a foreigner living in Israel, you were at a severe disadvantage. You couldn't own land, which means you couldn't own a farm, which means the main way of Israelites earning a living, because they are a farming society, wasn't accessible to you. It was much harder for you to earn a wage. Maybe you could work on a farm for someone, but you couldn't own land. And so, you were at a severe disadvantage. And so, foreigners are often referred to as poor. They're almost synonymous in that way. And this kind of shows us the principle the Bible's working with. It's not simply those who live on a buck ninety a day or less. The poor are those who are economically vulnerable. The foreigner was vulnerable because of his disadvantage in earning an income. And there are other people in this category as well. So orphans and widows were often called poor because their family structures that would normally care for them and support them weren't there anymore. And so they were vulnerable and considered poor. So we see it's not just about how much food you have to eat, although that's part of it. It's not just about owning land or having a house, although that's part of it. The poor are those who are unable to support themselves, who did not have the ability to earn much of a living or who are at a severe disadvantage. In the Bible, it's the economically vulnerable who are the poor. And it's really helpful for us to have this more expanded view of what poverty is in the Bible. Because when we look around here at church, there's no one who's obviously malnourished. There's no one here who is obviously living on a dollar ninety a day. But there are still people who are with us who are vulnerable in the same sense the Bible uses. When we look around church, we'll see plenty of people who fit into these categories. The single parent who has to work a job and care for the kids all by themselves. The person who just lost their job and is struggling to find another one. Someone who's physically disabled and can't work. Or someone who's suffering from a mental illness and struggles to find work. There's stacks of more categories we could go through. These are the people who are also poor not because they have no money, not because they've done anything wrong, but because of the situation they're in, they're more vulnerable. And thinking about the poor as vulnerable also shows us that you can be fine and happy one day and poor the next. I go to a college in Newtown and there's this tattoo parlour right across the road from college. And uh, 
just not last week but the week after, the place burnt down overnight. The, the man who owned that store one day was happy, secure in his income, you know, tattooing people left and right uh, and doing a good job. He had a pretty good reputation. He was earning a fair bit of money. He was fine, but when the business burnt down, he's all of a sudden poor. He's economically vulnerable, not in the same sense as a kid living on a dollar ninety a day, not getting enough food, but he's vulnerable and he's worthy of just as much care. Now, this isn't to say we shouldn't care for those who are uh, destitute and have no money and are starving, but this bigger idea of what poverty is helps us see that there is need closer to home than we might imagine. This is why we have to have a bigger view. Now, I said there are three broad categories of poverty in the Bible. That's the first one, the economically poor. The second one is the spiritually poor. Hey, there we go. So, it's the spiritually poor. Spiritual poverty is different to economic poverty. Spiritual poverty is about how we stand before God. It has nothing to do with money. It means that we have nothing to offer God. We have nothing to offer God for our salvation. There's nothing that we can do to earn God's favour. We are completely poor. And here's the problem with spiritual poverty. Every single person suffers from it. Every single person suffers in spiritual poverty. Sin has robbed us of any favour we could earn with God. Because of our sin, we have nothing to offer God. And Romans 3 says that all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. And so we are all spiritually poor, economically poor, are vulnerable, spiritually poor, everyone No one has anything to offer God. And so the question that we need to think about today is, if we are spiritually poor, do we recognise it in our lives? Do we know that and do we believe it? Do we really believe that before God we are bankrupt and we have nothing and that we need a saviour? Because the world tells us that that's not the case. The world tells us we're fine, we're good people, we have lots to offer God, if there even is a God that we don't need to worry because people are basically good. Sure, there's a few bad apples, but most people aren't like that. The problem is with that lie that the world tells us is that it kind of doesn't stand up to any decent amount of thought. If I'm a good person, then how come I lie so often? How come I lie just to save face or to look good or um, to stop myself feeling some pain? If I'm so good, how come I have bad relationships? If I'm so good, how come I have cruel thoughts about the person who just cut me off in traffic? It doesn't stand up to some thought. It's because we are not good. We are spiritually poor. We are bankrupt before God. Which is why it's a really, really good thing that God loves the poor. It is a really good thing that God loves the poor We see this throughout the entire Bible, right from the beginning all the way up to the end, God overflows with compassion on the poor. We see this right at the start uh, with Adam and Eve, Uh, and so I've got this example here. Uh, Adam and Eve, they just sinned against God, uh, and God punished them for doing the wrong thing, and they had nothing. They'd been tossed out of the garden, they'd realised their nakedness in front of each other, 
and God had just slammed them with these punishments that they justly deserved because of their sin. But even in that situation, God is compassionate. And so in verse 21, which is on the screen, it says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. Even in the midst of punishment, God has compassion and mercy on Adam and Eve who have nothing. And he gives them clothing. God, he favours economic poor throughout the whole Bible. He protects them. He uses the poor to achieve mighty things. He even lifts them out of poverty. Another example of God's compassion is in the Old Testament law. There's a stack of laws that show that God cares for the poor and wants the best for them and wants Israel to care for the poor and wants Israel to look after them. I'll just give you one example of one of these laws. When Israelites were harvesting the crops in harvest time, God said, don't harvest all the way to the edge of the field, but hang back a little bit. So there's a little bit of food around the edge. And that way, when the homeless and the poor come, they can pick some from themselves and they can have food to eat. God's compassion shines through this law because this law is purely designed to care for the poor. Another example is in Proverbs. We, we saw a proverb... Uh, We saw in Proverbs just a moment before how we should be caring for the poor and Proverbs is just a book that's full of all these observations about how life works and some wise words about how to live in light of those observations. So, for example, if I'm nice to someone, they're likely to like me back. If I'm rude to someone, they're likely to not like me back. So, there's these patterns and God has created the world and created these patterns for us to live in. And so, when we see a proverb like Proverb 28, 27... It shows us that God is compassionate even in how he made the world. Read it with me, it's on the screen. Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. So God's compassion is built into how he's made the world so that these patterns of, if I give to the poor, not only do they benefit, but I benefit. Or if I'm stingy to the poor, there'll be curses upon me, whatever those curses might be. God's compassion is built into how the world works. Throughout all of history, God shows compassion. He shows compassion when He judges Israel's leaders who are oppressing the poor and stealing from the poor. God shows compassion throughout all of history, which is really good news for us, because remember, we are all poor. We are spiritually poor. As much as God is compassion compassionate, sorry, on the economically poor, as much as God loves them and cares for them and sets up systems so they're looked after, God is even more compassionate to the spiritually poor. Come with me to Luke 4, which is what we had read out earlier, uh, and from verse 17, Jesus uh, is in the synagogue in his hometown and he pulls out the scroll and this is what he says, from verse 17, And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me. Why? Or for what purpose? To proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of our Lord's favour. Jesus has come to preach good news to the poor, but he doesn't necessarily have in mind only the economically poor. He's thinking more spiritual poverty. 
Jesus' good news is for those who have nothing to offer God. We are stuck in our spiritual poverty and Jesus brings this good news. We are blinded and in the dark because of our spiritual poverty, but Jesus restores our sight. We are oppressed by sin, we're under its thumb and we cannot escape, but Jesus comes and sets us free. That is really, really good news. That is good news. The problem is, right after Jesus reads this scroll and says, this scroll is written about me, the people in his hometown reject him. They pick him up, they take him out of town and they try to throw him off a cliff. So, is Jesus good news for them? Well, no, they rejected Jesus' good news. They said no to it. They rejected Jesus. So, then who's it for? Well, this is when we get to our third category of poverty in the Bible. Third category is the religiously poor. It's not, it's not a good word for it, but it's the best I could come up with. So the first, economically poor, those who are economically vulnerable, either have no money to live or are struggling to get the money they need to live in a situation where they're vulnerable. Second, the spiritually poor, that's everyone who have nothing to offer God. The third kind, the religiously poor, these are the people who recognise their spiritual poverty and in response to that, they are lowly and humble before God. They realise their state and they choose to depend on God for everything they need. They trust in God. They see their spiritual poverty and they turn to God, not away from God. This is the type of poor that Jesus proclaims good news to, this third kind of poor. And so this brings us back to our question from before, do you recognise your spiritual poverty? But even more than that, once you've recognised it, do you turn to God instead of away from God? Do you see your need for dependence upon God? Do you turn to God humbly and ask Him to sustain you and provide for you? The reason that we have to keep fighting that lie that the world tells us that we are good is A, because it's a lie and we're people of the truth, but secondly, because the lie stops us from being religiously poor. If we think we are good, what reason do we have for needing a saviour? There's no possible way to think that we are basically good people and to see that we have nothing before God and turn to depend on Him. There's no point to it if we think we're good. So we have to recognise our spiritual poverty. We have to turn towards God and be humble. We have to become religiously poor or we'll never escape our true poverty. Now, it's often the case in the Bible that it's those who are economically poor, those who are vulnerable without food, without housing, without family to care for them, it's often those people who recognise their spiritual poverty. They're the people who often turn to God. There's something about their situation, about their dependence on others, where they see they need to depend on God. There's something about being lowly and humble that shows them that they need to be lowly and humble to God. And so that's why God often uses these poor people to achieve His purposes, why He uses them to show His great might and strength. But it's also why we need to be just like Jesus and just like God and have compassion on the economically poor as well. Now, Jesus, He, in the first instance, proclaims good news 
to the spiritually poor and to the religiously poor. He proclaims good news to them because he will heal them and lift them out of poverty. But he also has in mind, to some extent, economic poverty. Jesus knows that one day he will rescue people from their economic poverty. He provides hope for them. God's salvation means that one day those who are poor will live in abundance with God. They will never lack for any need ever again. They will never have to harvest the leftovers from the edge of the field. They'll never be oppressed by the rich and powerful ever again. Jesus says as much in Luke chapter 6. So if you flick over two pages to Luke 6, in Luke chapter 6, Jesus gives Luke's version of the Beatitudes. If you're familiar with Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, you might have heard of the Beatitudes. Uh, Similar sermon, even the same sermon in Luke 6. Uh, And Jesus, he, he says the same thing. So look with me from verse 20 and listen to what Jesus says. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. Jesus says, if you are poor, religiously poor, you will inherit the kingdom of God. There will be no more hunger, no more weeping, no more hatred just because you follow Jesus. Jesus' promise here isn't promise that he'll lift you from your economic poverty here and now, although he might do that, but it's not a promise of that, it's a promise that in heaven you will live in abundance and there'll be no more poverty. So as we look to what Jesus has done, lifted us out of our poverty, and as we look to the future where there'll be no more poverty, what do we do today? How do we respond to this? Should we show compassion to the poor today? Well, if we are saved, if we have trusted in Jesus, then we have experienced God's ultimate show of compassion. He rescued us by sending Jesus to die on the cross. Even though we had nothing, God gave us everything. That said, no more clearly than in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Read with me on the screen. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich... Yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Jesus became poor so that we could be made rich. Jesus became poor to rescue us from our poverty. That is God's compassion on us. And that transforms us. It transforms our lives so that having experienced God's compassion, we can be compassionate like God is too. We can choose to become poor ourselves because we've been made rich. We do it for the sake of others. And so, yes, we absolutely do need to have compassion on the poor. That is part of our Christian life. Not just because God tells us to, which He does, He tells us to be generous, but because He has been so compassionate towards us. He has made us rich so that we can become poor for the sake of others. And so, in the first instance, people's biggest need is their spiritual poverty. 
So we need to be compassionate to those who are spiritually poor, to those who lack anything before God. And as I said before, that is every single person in the world. To do this, to be compassionate on the spiritually poor, we actually need to see people for what they really are. We actually need to see that people are spiritually poor. So we have to have spiritual eyes. We have to have this spiritual sight that doesn't see people well-dressed, uh, in nice fancy suits, driving nice fancy cars or whatever, having meals every day. We actually need to see that they are poor, they are destitute, they have nothing before God. And it's so easy to lose sight of this truth. It's so easy. I know someone who once visited some pastors in South Africa and he was driving along with one of the pastors through this city and as they were driving, uh, they were reflecting with one another about how one of the biggest slums in South Africa, uh, which held millions of people who had no money, who struggled just to eat each day, they were right next to these really nice, quiet, middle-class neighbourhoods. You could see the other neighbourhoods from one another. And so this guy, he asked the pastor, how do you go day by day knowing that there's so much poverty right next door? How do you do it? How do you survive? How do you not just run in there and give everything you have? And the pastor says something along the lines of, you know, we just kind of get used to it. It's just, it's just there in the background. It becomes background noise and we learn to filter it out. And so if it's easy to filter out those who are visibly poor right next to us, how much easier is it for us to filter out those who aren't visibly poor right in front of us? We need to ask that God would keep showing us the reality of people being poor around us. While we're sitting at work or in class at uni, we need to recognise that the people who are surrounding us are poor. We've been made rich in Jesus, but they are destitute, they have nothing. And so one way for us to keep these spiritual eyes on is to pray for these people. And I don't just mean generally pray that God would rescue people, I mean specifically pray for specific people that God would help us to see their poverty and to act so, I encourage you today to take a minute, maybe if we have time to reflect after the sermon or maybe straight after the service, or maybe as soon as you get home over dinner, just take, take one minute today, write down three names, Jimmy, John and Joe, or whoever they are, three names of people who you see regularly or somewhat regularly, who don't know Jesus, write them down and commit to praying for them every day. And this, the prayer doesn't have to be long, it can be short, you can pray in the shower or in your morning commute or while you're getting your breakfast. Ask that God would help you make opportunities to share the compassion of Jesus with them, to share the good news that Jesus proclaims. Pray that God would help you speak words that are convincing and show how God loves them. Pray that God would help you speak words with compassion and with love. It only takes a minute. You might pray, Father God, I pray for Jimmy, James and Joe, that you would help me make the most of my opportunities, that you would help me over lunch speak to them today and that as I speak to them, you'd give me the words to say, to show them that you love them and that they can come to Jesus to be made rich. Amen. That's it, one minute. Imagine if we did that every day. Our eyesight would be so much improved. We would see people for who they really are. But having said that we need to care for people's spiritual poverty it kind of leads us back to one of the questions we had at the start. Well, do we just care for people's spiritual poverty because that's their biggest need? Do we not worry about their economic poverty? 
Well, no, we don't just care for the spiritual poverty, we care for them wholly. We care that they're economically poor, that they are vulnerable, that they need help. Why? Because God does. God cares for them and He shows His compassion through Christians today. God shows His compassion through our compassion on them. But the question is, who? Who do we care for? There's people all over the world, there's billions of people in economic poverty, there's billions of people who are vulnerable and need help. Who do we choose? Well, the simple answer is everyone. But that kind of will stop us acting at all. If we have to choose between billions of people and we can't do it all, we just won't do anyone. And God recognises this, He doesn't expect us to end world poverty ourselves. And so the Bible has this concept built into it where we are more responsible to those we're connected to and we are less responsible for those we are not as connected to. And so our responsibility changes, our need to show compassion doesn't. We're told in the, in the New Testament that uh, family members should care for each other. So uh, if, if a brother needs help, his other brothers and his parents should help him. That's kind of the idea. And it's that close connection of family that means they should help. And if the family can't help, then the church steps in to help. And it's, it's this same principle, which is why the parable of the Good Samaritan is so shocking in its first instance. When the man is laying on the side of the road, beaten and bloodied, it's the two people with the closest connections to him that ignore him. And Jesus is saying how horrible that his countrymen would ignore him. And it's also shocking because it's his enemy, the Samaritan, who is the one who comes and cares for him. It's his enemy with the least connection to him who shows compassion. Jesus is saying, it is good that the Samaritan showed compassion and it's bad that the others didn't. And so this idea of responsibility for the close connection and good to care for those who are less connected is how we should be thinking about our care. This connection means that we need to be caring for those in our church because we are closely connected. We need to be caring for each other who are in this room today because we are most closely connected to each other. And so today, there will be people with us who uh, have just lost their jobs or maybe they've just given birth and, and they're off work and they're feeling vulnerable or there'll be single parents in the room, people who are sick, people who, for whatever reason, can't work or can't support themselves. Those people are here today and we should be caring for them. And this is where I think CGs is so important and so good for us. Because as we meet together in small groups and we pray and read the Bible and we do it each week, we also meet to care for one another. We're a small group who can more intensely care for one another. Imagine if in your CG, when someone lost their job, the whole group decided, you know what, we're going to help them. They're probably busy worrying about money and looking for new jobs. How about we set up a meal roster and a couple of times a week, one of us drops over and drops in a meal so they don't have to worry about dinner. And maybe while we're there, we can ask them how they're going, we can pray for them. Maybe we can just hang out for a bit because they're feeling upset about the whole situation. You know, we can sit and eat, eat dinner and watch Netflix um, just so that they feel like they're cared for and loved. Or imagine if uh, someone who uh, relies on their car for work like maybe they're a delivery driver and, and they're in an accident and they can't afford to fix their car and the CG, they go around and they chuck in a few bucks each and they give it to this guy to help him pay for his car. 
Wouldn't it be amazing to be part of a CG who loved so radically that they did that, that they gave up from themselves just to love one another? Time, resources, money, themselves, to care for one another. That is a beautiful picture to see us looking out for one another. But what about those outside of our church? We should care for those we're connected to. What about those who we're less connected to? Well, the Bible never says that we shouldn't care for them. It always says it is good to care for them. Yes, we're less responsible, but it is good to care for them. And so we care for them. And this is where organisations like charities, like compassion and things like that are so good and so helpful for us. It is now possible for us to support someone on the other side of the world because of organisations like Compassion. But we have to be careful. We don't just want to give our money away willy-nilly to any old organisation. We have to be thoughtful and informed with our choices of what we're going to do with it. We need to ask questions before we put money out. Not because we're stingy and we really don't want to do it, but because we want our money to have the best impact for others that it can And so, questions like, how is the money I'm going to donate going to be spent by this organisation? Is it all going to go to uh, children who need it? Or is half of it going to be taken off the top to run the organisation? Questions like, does this charity care for the spiritual nature of this person, for the spiritual poverty in this person, or does it simply care about getting them well-fed? Which is very important, but there are organisations out there that care for the whole person physical and spiritual? Or how does this charity uh, impact the community that these people are living in? What impact does it have on the whole community? Now, there's more questions you could ask. I've got more in my head. You can come ask me afterwards if you have more questions. I can give you more things to consider. But they're just a few to get you started. And those questions are why I love Compassion, the organisation. My wife and I, we sponsor a Compassion Child because we love compassion and the work they're doing. They answer those three questions really well. How do they handle the money? Where does the money go to? Well, the money only ever goes to what you've donated it to. They've worked really hard to be wise and responsible with their money. And you can see it all on their website. If you go to compassion.com.au, I think you're like three clicks away from seeing all their financials. They've won awards for being so well run and having so little overhead that more of their money goes out to help those in need. Compassion seeks to lift kids out of their economic poverty, clothes them, schools them, helps them eat, but it doesn't stop there. It cares more for their spiritual poverty. It brings them into churches where they can hear the good news that Jesus has for them. And in connecting to the local churches, Compassion cares for the whole community of these people who are being sponsored so that the whole community benefits from churches proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Now, as I say this, Compassion isn't the only organisation you can give to. I do highly recommend it. It's excellent. It doesn't meet every need in the world. There are other areas of need. Compassion looks at children in need, but there are other areas. But it's a great place to start. And so I do encourage you today to head out there and talk to PT uh, about what giving to Compassion might be like. Now, I'm going to finish. We should be generous because, yes, God commands it, although we haven't looked at that today, we should be generous because God is generous to us. We should be compassionate because God is compassionate to us. When we were spiritually poor, when we had nothing, 
He sent His Son and made us rich. And now we look forward to a day where there is no more poverty. But in the meantime, we have the same compassion that God has on us. We have that same compassion. We make ourselves poor for the sake of others, just like Jesus has done. How about I pray? Father God, thank You that You care for the poor. Thank You that You look out for those who are vulnerable, who are lowly and humbled. And thank You that in our spiritual poverty, You sent Your Son, Jesus, to rescue us. Help us to respond appropriately knowing our spiritual poverty. Help us to turn to You and look to Jesus and His good news. And help us to, once You've filled us with that compassion, to pour it out on others. In our richness, Please help us to share your love. Help us to share your good news of rescues from spiritual poverty and help us to share our resources, our time and our money to those who need it more than us. Help us to be sacrificial like Jesus. Amen.